Every day I'm chasing something different. Every day the way I operate is totally different and it's not about the product for me as much as it is about the process. And what I mean about the process, the process saved my life. You see, my mother had me when she was 15 years old, right? Over on the east side of Atlanta, we came up in this neighborhood by the name of Kirkwood, drug dealer on every corner, gang members in the neighborhood, two bedroom home, 14 people, used to sleep on the floor. Got the opportunity to sleep in the bed one time out of the week. It was six of us in the bed, three at the foot, three at the head. And I came up with this dream pretty quick. I said, man, I want to go to the NFL because I had eight uncles in that house, all eight of which are still going in and out of prison. And so pretty quick, I said, man, I want to go to the NFL. And so I went to my big cousin tomorrow one night. I said, man, listen, I want to go to the NFL. And so we got to work for this thing. So the thing we're going to do every night, we're going to be patient. We're going to engage in consistent action. Every night, we're going to race light pole to light pole with no shoes. So every night, we would get out in the street, race light pole to light pole. One night, a coach came down the street. He signed me and my cousins up for organized sports, right? First time being in organized sports. We get in organized sports. The thing was, after practice, everybody would leave to go home. And I always had to sit on the bench and wait on my mother because she worked at Wendy's. And so when my mother would show up in the park, it would be about 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. So I'm sitting there, and when my mother would pull up, she drove an old Buick Regal, hubcaps off the car, seats torn up, the car was all beat up. And she would pull up in the park 10.30 at night. I would jump off the bench. I would sprint over to my mother. I would say, Mom, if you don't mind, can you please sit back in your car and turn on your car lights? I have to do some extra drills. I have to go to the NFL. She would never have to work another day in your life. And I knew my mother was tired. And every night, my mother would sit back in that car, and those car lights would hit that field. And he had a seven-year-old kid doing backpelling drills, running sprints, running laps, chasing his dream to go to the NFL. But just beyond those car lights, I could always connect with my mother's eyes. So it made me dig a little bit deeper. It made me push myself a little bit further. It made me work a little bit harder. It created a certain level of sweat equity in what I was doing. It created a certain level of pride in what I was doing. You know why people quit? People don't have pride in what they do. You know why people stop? They're selfish, and it's just about them. But when you have a bigger purpose to why you're doing what you're doing and you want to honor the sacrifices that others have made for you, it's nothing for you to keep going when you hit adversity. If every decision and choice you make is just about you, at a certain point you're going to hit something that's a lot tougher than you and it's going to make you quit because you don't have a driving force for why you do what you do. But when I got up to the University of Tennessee, it was simple. It was simple for me to give everything I had. My freshman year, I played special teams. My sophomore season, I broke the star lineup, had a really strong sophomore season. The summer heading into my junior year, I still remember the day where I was sitting in our film room and I was watching film on the California Bears. My defensive backs coach, Larry Slade, came in the room. He said, Inky, I got some good news for you. I dropped the click. I said, what is it? He said, man, you're projected top 30 draft pick, son. He said, all you have to do is play the next 10 football games. You're an automatic multimillionaire. I went out of the room. I called my mother and my grandmother on the three-way. I said, after this season, there will be no more struggling. I said, we would never miss another meal. I said, we would never experience another Christmas where we have to stand on the side of the curb and just be grateful. And I hung it up. First football game, I went out, played great, got an interception, shut Cal down. Second game, we're playing against Air Force, got late in the game, fourth quarter, guy dropped back, he threw the ball to a receiver coming out of my sideline. Me and the guy, we went head on. Soon as I hit the guy, I felt as if every breath in my body left. Body went completely limp, fell to the ground, I blacked out. Never happened to me before. When my eyes opened, I'll never forget, my teammates ran over, they said, Ink, get up, let's go. I said, I can't. I said, I can't move. They said, what do you mean you can't move? You're out lockdown corner, man, we need you, let's go. I said, I know, man, but this time I can't move. I flipped my head up to the sky, I said, God. I said, surely nothing is happening in this moment that can alter my life. 
They got me over to the hospital, they took me back, they ran CAT scans, they brought me back into my room, and all in a 15-second time frame, the doctor came running in from the opposite side. He said, hey, get in here, we gotta rush this guy back to emergency surgery, he's about to die. I said, what? He said, son, you have busted up the clavian artery in your chest, you're bleeding internally, we have to rush you back, take the main vein out of your left leg, plug it into your chest in order to save your life. When I opened my eyes from recovery, the same doctor was over me, he said, son, have some good news and some bad news for you. I said, you got some bad news for me? I have to tell him I was about to die, I'm still alive. How bad can it get? I'm still here. He said, the good news is we saved your life. I said, thank you, sir. He said, the bad news is, Inc., you have nerve damage in your right shoulder. I said, okay, cool. He said, but son, it's a strong possibility that you probably can never play the game of football again in your life. I said, no way. I said, no disrespect to you, doc, but I've been working for this ever since I was seven years old. I said, no disrespect to you, doc, but you wasn't in the park with me and my mother when I was seven years old and she was sending that Buick Riga after she got done working at Wendy's. No disrespect to you, doc, but you didn't come up in that two-bedroom home, 14 people sleeping on the floor. No disrespect to you, doc, but you didn't miss those meals and stay focused and never made an excuse. I never cheated. I never cheated. Like, my conscience, still until this day, won't let me cheat. Like, I can't cheat. I can't look myself in the mirror and say, Ink, you did a good job knowing that I cheated. I can't cheat. One of the greatest pieces of advice that my mother gave me was this. Son, whenever you start, you make sure you finish it. And the problem with the world today, people get involved with things, and if they don't like a certain person, if they don't like the process, if it's not what they thought it was, they quit. And what they don't understand about quitting, quitting becomes a habit that doesn't just affect you. Later on in life, when you get a wife and you get some kids or you get a family, it's going to come back to hunt you and it will one day affect them. That is why I tell you the process is more important than the product. It's not even about the outcome for me. It's about can you take pride in what you do as an individual and every night when you look in the mirror, knowing that you gave everything you had to it. And we have to get to the point where we're willing to impose our will on certain things. Impose your will on it. My life totally changed. And they gave me an opportunity to stop. And most people, when you give them an opportunity to stop while they're chasing something, they take advantage of it because they feel as if, man, why did this have to happen to me? I felt as if, why not me? This is the perfect opportunity to use this to be a blessing to somebody else. And you know what? It's not even about me to be truthful. It's not even about me. Now it's about repaying the people that invested in me and saw something in me when I couldn't see it in myself. At a certain point in life, it can't just be about you. And the moment that we understand that and every day we wake up, we understand that life is a blessing and life is a gift. And if you were to check out today, how would you want to be remembered? It's bigger than you. How good is that? I love that video. Um, Stuart uh, introduced me to Inky, and man, you're talking about a great young man. Um, there's about 10 different messages you could preach from that video. Um, I love watching it. I've watched it over and over again. Inky and I have a lot of things in common. My mom had me when she was 15 years and two months old as well. We grew up with nothing. I can relate to uh, Inky and uh I could talk a lot about his faith. He's a great man of faith. Doesn't talk much about his faith in that video, but he's a strong man of God. Uh, no question about it. I could talk about his, his perseverance uh, as well. Uh, be something that we could talk a lot about and what he's been through and his, what he's overcome. Uh, but I want to narrow in for tonight and for chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians on kind of something he said there at the very end. 
At the very end, he said, some people will ask him, you know, why did this happen to me? Why was this me? Why did, what did I have to go through this? And he said, you know what, why not me, right? You heard him say that, why not me? And he said, what an opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. He said, it's not even about me, really. You know, I love that. Not even about me. It's something we are talking the other day at breakfast, um, something I try to tell myself every single day. Every day I try to tell myself, it is not about me. It's not about me. And for somebody like myself that is prone to being prideful and believing that I can do it all and it can do it in my own power, something I need to hear every day. This is not about me. This class is not about me. My job is not about me. Not even my family. It's all about God. It's all about God. That's how it works in my life. And i got to keep reminding myself, it's not about me. You know, and there's, there's other great stories. I was thinking about other people like Inky, and we were, while we were gone, we got to watch again, I think for the seventh or eighth time, Soul Surfer, Bethany Hamilton. You know, and I, it just, when I heard her say this in the movie, they were interviewing her, and if you don't remember the story, she was a surfer and had an accident. A shark bit off one of her arms. She went back and became a surfer again. And won all kinds of championships. And at one of those championships, they, one of the reporters went to her and said, you know, if you could go back and change that day, would you change it? Would you not go surfing that day? She thought about it for a minute. She said, no way. No way. I would never change it. Because if I had two arms, you'd never be talking to me. I can reach more people with one arm than I'll ever, ever would have reached with two. So you know what these two stories and others like them have in common is that you got two people that are not sitting around asking the question, why me? Why me? You know, it's really the right question is the one that Inky posed, which is why not me? Well, tonight in the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk some about comfort also. And if anyone ever had the right to say, why me, I would think Paul would be one on the top of that list. I mean, I'm sure we could all agree if you've studied the life of, of the Apostle Paul, you know that he went through a fair amount of suffering. He had a whole list of things that he puts over in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Starting in verse 23, he says, I'm talking like a madman. He'd been telling them of all the things that had happened to him. He said, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul knew what it meant to suffer. He'd been through his fair share of hard times. So if anybody could have said, why me, could have been Paul. But you'll see, I think, in this passage tonight, it, it's a great reflection, really, of his attitude, which is one of, why not me? You know, why not me? That's what I want to talk about tonight. Why not me? So let's take a look. And to give you a little bit of kind of segue from where we were at, we just finished, obviously, uh, 1 Corinthians before we left for vacation. And it's been about a year 
not since we left, but in between, uh, in between the two uh, letters that Paul had wrote to the Corinthians, to the Corinthians church, the first letter, as we know, was a stern letter, uh, one of rebuke uh, for a church that had kind of gone mad uh, with lots of division and all kinds of other sin. And we'll see as we go through this letter to the Corinthians that it's a, this is a lot more kinder, gentler. Uh, Paul here in this one uh, with the tone of this is more he's trying to assure them of his love and his loyalty so you'll see and have a whole different feel when we go through this this book versus the last one but let me start and let me read the uh, first 11 verses of chapter 1 from 2nd Corinthians it says Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother and I'll stop a few places as I as I read this remember this is how he started really the last First uh, Corinthians. And, you know, one of the reasons that he right out of the bat says, hey, I'm an apostle, uh, is, he, you know, an apostle is someone sent by someone. So he's saying, I was sent by Jesus Christ. And remember, these are a lot of people doubting Paul at this time. So he wants to right away say, listen, I'm speaking on behalf of God. That's why he starts it the way he does. He says, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, and that's just the part of, the, of Greece where Corinth was located. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. That word endure there, uh, it's, it's, it's the sense of, of like a marathon runner. If you, if you go back and you look at the origin of that word, it's, it's not really, you know, the, the idea of someone maybe sitting in a, in a dentist's office chair and you're just kind of trying to get through it. No, it's someone that's charging ahead. That's what he's talking about there. When you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. All of Paul's journeys, his missionary journeys, at some point touched Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a de deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that, we, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. A little bit more background that I think will be helpful as we kind of go through this and, and, and just sense the tone of the letter and kind of what's going on behind the scenes. As I said a few minutes ago, there's a lot of people challenging Paul. You know, a lot of people were saying basically, listen, you, there's no way that you're an apostle of Jesus Christ because look at your life. I mean, all it is is a mess. I mean, I just read you, you know, 
a bunch of verses about all the things that went wrong in his life. So all of them were like, man, who is this guy that you worship that lets all of this junk happen to you? You know, and they were questioning him. You know, people were coming in saying, don't believe this Paul fella. I mean, he's a joke. Just look at his own life. But we know, don't we, that in the face of persecution and suffering, that the gospel is advanced. We talked about this when we studied the Beatitudes over the summer. Uh, we talked about persecution, and I had given some statistics that then that I'll give now in talking about places where the gospel is spreading in the face of persecution. Just talk about China. It's amazing, really, the statistics that come out of China right now. It says the Christians have grown from 500,000 in 1949 to more than 60 million today. Isn't that amazing? It says that by 2030, at this rate of growth, China will be the largest Christian nation in the world. Or in Iran. Okay, in Iran, where Christians have grown from 500, just 500 Christians in 1981, 500, to more than 5 million today. And in both places, I mean, can you think of, of places where there were, was more persecution for the church than in China and in Iran? So we know that in the face of persecution and suffering, the gospel can go forward. Paul certainly knew that. He wrote four books from the New Testament while he was in prison, and in all of those situations when he was in prison, the, the gospel advanced. In fact, he, he says so uh, in Titus. He says, listen, uh, when I was in prison, uh, the, the gospel spread throughout the entire government. He even talked about it here in verse 6. If you look there in verse 6, he says that um, he talked, talks a lot about it. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. You see that? If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. He's just making the same statement. Listen, I'm suffering for you. Out of this will become, God will be glorified. That's what he's trying to make clear. You know, Aaron mentioned uh, William's funeral from yesterday. Boy, it seems like a lot's happened in a day. Uh, you know, that funeral is a great example of this. A lot of suffering going on there. You know, a lot of, a lot of heartache. But I'll tell you... Um, the gospel was shared, and I think God was glorified, even in that moment of suffering. So we know that God can be glorified in suffering. So that's kind of going on in the backdrop of this, and Paul's having to deal with it. It's also another pretty good reminder, isn't it, that when you're following Christ, you're not always going to be popular. You know, Paul wasn't the most popular guy in the world, that's for sure. But I think, really, Paul has two main points uh, from these 11 verses that I want to focus on. One is if you are a follower of Christ, you will have both comfort and affliction. You will have both comfort and affliction. Webster defines affliction as a persistent pain or great suffering. Ugh. That doesn't sound great, does it? But the reality of it is we get the good and we get the bad. Okay, we get the good and we get the bad. Verse 5 says that we're going to share in Christ's sufferings and we're going to share in his comfort. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We get the good and bad. It's a package deal, isn't it? In fact, I find it interesting if you look in verse 6. Okay, verse 6 actually kind of makes it clear that godly comfort is a respite okay, from godly suffering. I mean, it's, it's going to be so ingrained and so much a part of your life, you need rest from it. 
Look what he says there. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we do. You're going to get this comfort when you're enduring the sufferings. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a lighthearted uh, uh, story, an example of this. But, you know, when I think I've got a picture maybe, but when I'm in Kiowa, I like to ride bikes. I do a lot of bike riding. And one of the places that I ride bikes is on the beach. There's a, it's a fit guy right there riding a, a, a bike, right? Well, so here's the thing about riding the bike on the beach in Kiowa, all right? When you're riding into that wind, I'm going to tell you, that's some suffering, all right? Massive amounts of suffering when you're riding into that wind. Now, when you turn around and you're going downwind, you're like, ah, this is so nice. And it's always funny when I watch people that are maybe new to Kiowa, you stand out there on the beach and you see them, and they're going downwind. They're just oh, waving and they're so happy and all nice. And about 20 minutes later, they'll be coming back by you into the wind and they're like stripping sweat and, you know, and dying. The dad's like carrying the, guy, the, the baby in the little carriage behind and he's having to take his stop and take breaks. That's what I think of when I think of, of comfort and affliction is riding that bike there. I mean, we'd all like it if, if we could always ride downwind, wouldn't we? It'd be great if you could only go downwind. Man, it would make the bike rides on the beach in Kiowa so much more enjoyable. I mean, we've actually went to the end of it before and got out on the road and rode back on the road because you couldn't make it back on the wind. But Erin was in front of me, and she made it, so I was not ever going to stop. <laughs> I was not going to stop. I was going to make it. All right, but we'd all like to be just downwind all the time, wouldn't we? But, you know, in Kiowa, the beach goes like this. It doesn't go all the way around, so you got no choice. If you go down, you got to come back the other direction. You get the good with the bad, okay? One begets the other. Same is true for our lives as followers of Christ. You know, it would be great if it was always good, if, if we never have to experience pain, if we never had to experience affliction and suffering. It would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that sounds awesome, but it's just not the reality of a Christian life. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says that we as Christians are destined for affliction. I mean, think about that. I mean, do you ever really let that soak in and think of, of what that means in your life? Sacrifice that it takes to be a Christian? And then listen, it's not just preachers. It's not just missionaries like, like Paul, right? We know that across this room. It, if you're a follower of Christ and you're, you're trying to run after Jesus, I promise you, Satan is after you. Satan is after you, you know, and, and sometimes he's the cause of your trouble and, and, and God kind of lets him in to maybe help you. Maybe a trial in your life that's good, helps you persevere, builds your faith, right? You know, sometimes we, we run into it ourselves. Sometimes through sin we cause some pretty, you know, difficult afflictions. So, you know, sometimes it runs into you and sometimes you run into it. But to me, how you got there really isn't nearly as important as what you do when you're there. Because we're all going to experience, right? We're going to all, hopefully at some point in our life, have some comfort, all right? And what you do with that is important also, right? Because some people take comfort and they hoard it. They hoard that comfort. Oh, yeah, this is good, you know? And we often tend to think of comfort in terms of money too, right? Times are good. I got money in my bank account. I can go do things. I'm not struggling, all right, and sometimes you pull that in. You're not willing to share that comfort either, right? But honestly, I think 
most of the time, it, it, the problem lies in the affliction. It really does. You know, because when by, bad times come upon us and things are hard, you know, too many times, right, we just want to feel sorry for ourselves. I see it all the time in talking to people. You just get down. You get to focusing on your problems. And you start asking, why me? See it all the time. Why me? Why did this happen? But God wants us to have an attitude of why not me. And that's really, I think, the second point, And that is this. Your suffering and comfort is less about you. And it's more about how it allows you to help and to comfort others. You know, sure, we get the comfort. That's what verse 4 says, 4a there says, the God who comforts us all. And, and by the way, as a side, that word comfort there, it's not exactly what we would uh, think of as the word comfort. The, the Greek word for that, paraklesius, so horrible with those words. You'd think I'd get better. Uh, much more, it's much more than just what we would think of as comfort. It actually, uh, it includes strengthening and helping to make you brave. That's what it is. So it's, it's more than just this, this nice, easy life, this uh, physical or mental ease where you don't have any grief in your life. No, this comfort that we're talking about, that Paul's talking about there, it, it's those things too. But it's also, it's the strengthening of you. God is strengthening you. He's helping you. And, but most important, okay, while God does this for you, as we read in here, while he's, he's comforting you in your affliction, what we want to be doing is comforting others. That's what those two important words there in verse 4 are about. It says, who comforts us all in all of our afflictions. Two words right there, so that. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It is through our affliction and comfort that we get to comfort others. We get to be a conduit for God. I mean, think about that. It's a partnership. He gives us all we need. Comfort, and by the way, affliction. He knows that, that sometimes that's what we need because it builds up our character and it builds up our perseverance and it builds up our faith. And God, he, he's no dummy. Right? He knows what's going on, and He knows what we need, and, and He gives it to us. And from that experience, we need to be giving it out to others in this partnership. If it stops at us, that's where things go wrong, right? When it stops with us and we don't pass it on, that's where we get into trouble. That's where we get into trouble. But, you know, but every time I think about like chapters like this, you know, so it sometimes seem hard to kind of bring into today's world, I always had to ask myself, okay, well, all right, what does this mean, and how do I live this out in my life? You know, how do we do this? Because when I talk to people and, you know, give counseling and advice, again, I hear this all the time. It's like, well, well why is God, why is this happening to me? And why has God let this happen? You know, why, why is there so much suffering? You know, I had somebody texting me last night from a mission trip. I, you know, Scott, I can't get my head around why God allowed so much suffering. You know, why, why, why me, why me, why, why is this happening to me? Why, is, why can't I ever just get ahead? Why can't I ever just pull myself out of this? Why, 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 why me, right? I hear that all the time. But it's really not the right question. The right question is, why not me? That's what Paul's trying to get across here is like, listen, don't just get bogged down in your life of, of, of maybe heartache. Of affliction, don't get bogged down in that. It, God has given you that, that experience, okay, that life experience so that you can help someone else. I mean, really, if you think about it, that's the essence of discipleship, isn't it? It's to take the experiences that we have in life 
help someone else, pouring our life into someone else's, modeling Christ to them. It's that so that that matters. That's the important part of this verse, or this, these 11 verses. It's a so that. But even if we know this, even if we say, okay, listen, Scott, I get it. I need to stop focusing on the misery of my life. I need to focus on, on God. I need to, to make sure that I'm, I'm using what he's given me, good and bad, and helping others, pouring my life into their life, discipleship, thinking about others first. But still, how do I do this? I mean, isn't my nature one to think of myself? It is. That, that, that's what we do well, don't we? You know, I've said it many times, I'll say it again, when you look at the two greatest commandments in the Bible, to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love others as you love yourself. I've had so many people say, well, I, I, I don't know what that means, God, because I don't really love myself, so how can I love others as I love myself? I'm like, well, just take love and change it out for serve. Serve others as you serve yourself, because we're all good at that. Now, even if you don't love yourself, I promise you, you're good at serving yourself. So how do you do it? How do we do it? And I think, well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 11. It's one word, really, prayer. Boy, I could put prayer to cover a whole lot of things. But he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Paul knew the value of intercessory prayer. He knew how important it was. I, I love David Guzik's commentaries, and in his commentary about this, he says, even an apostle felt the prayers of the church necessary for his comfort and support. What innumerable blessings do the prayers of the followers of God draw down on those who are the objects of them? Prayer. You know, we need to be asking God to give us a, a servant's heart. Asking God to give us a servant's heart, one that is broken for others. You know, are you broken for the despair and the hurt of others? I mean, are you? And how much time do you even, you know, spend thinking about it? Much less being broken for it. You know, and we also need to always be praying for each other. All need to be praying for each other. It's why these prayer requests, you know, are so important. I love it when that board is filled up. I love the fact that we had a prayer meeting before today. I mean, we need the prayers. I love it when I read the, the, the email and all the different prayer requests that come out of this class. I love it that, that the people of this class need that prayer. I, I love it that, that when something happens in their life, they will reach out and say, I need prayer. Because they believe in the power of this prayer. They believe how important it is. I mean, is there a better picture really of comfort than that? As a group, I need to expand that ministry. We've, we've, we've been faithful to keep it going for years and years, and we have two people and three people and four people. I encourage you, get to that prayer meeting. There is nothing more important than prayer. You're not going to change your heart. You're not going to change your focus. You're not going to stop asking, why me? And say, why not me? Unless you're committed and devoted to prayer. It's just not going to happen. It's how we communicate with God. It's how He speaks to you. So I breathe life into you. I mean, to have access to the Almighty God and not use it. And to use it as a, as a body of believers. So very important. You know, and I think about these verses and I think about our class. I really do. And, I, and if I haven't told you lately, I'll tell you again, I, I love this class. And I love the people of this class. I do. I love this class. I love what we do here. 
and I think about what can happen and come out of this class. You know, I think about sometimes I get discouraged by just the world and what's going on and where it's headed and, you know, and just almost get overwhelmed. How, God, can I make a difference? What does it even matter? And then I think about this class. I mean, I think about what could happen if you take, I mean, we've got 150 people that are on our roster, but if you just take half of them, take 75 people that are on fire for Christ, that are committed to prayer, that are moved by the Holy Spirit, what could they do? What could they do? I mean, they could for sure change a city, for sure change a state, for sure change a country, and I agree, change the world, right? Just right here, think about that. Think about how exciting that is. I mean, when you think there's nothing you can do, then just think about this. Think about this class and what, what the prayers and the, the spirit of this group could do in the world. That should encourage you because you're not alone, right? This is what a church, this is what an early body of believers looks like. And, you know, and, I, and listen, I know we've got a lot of afflictions in this class. I know that. I read the prayer list. I get the privilege of talking with people. It is an absolute privilege. I never, ever get old of, of trying to be there and be a part of someone's life and, you know, in a way that hopefully brings God into focus and some comfort. I just love it. But I'll tell you, think about what God might do if we could think less about ourselves, less about our own individual problems, and more about others, more about comforting and helping others. Think about what God could do. I mean, just think. I mean, it, it really just kind of blows the mind in terms of the possibilities. They're really unlimited. I mean, if you just think about what God might do if we stop asking why me and start asking why not me. Why not me? And I think you can look at Inky, multiply it by this class, the people in this class, and then you can just think about what God might do. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this time. God, I thank you just for the encouragement that we get from your word, Lord. I thank you for this class and this body of believers, Lord. I pray, God, for just each and every person in here, Lord. I pray, God, that, that Lord, that you would just be so real in their lives. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that they would just feel your presence, your spirit working inside of them. Lord, I know that, that there are difficulties in everybody's life in this room. I know it, God. I know that there, there's a lot of suffering going on. I know that. God, and I can't explain why. I don't understand it always, but I know you've got a purpose and you've got a plan. And I know, God, that you will provide comfort along with that affliction. And God, I pray that you would just give us the, the desire of our heart would be to help others. To take what you've given us and the experiences that you've given us and the way you've taught us, the way you've instructed us, and help us to pour that into others. Just the freedom, God, that comes from serving others. Lord, I pray that everybody in this room would experience that. And God, Lord, as we go, as we go out this week, Lord, God, I pray that, Lord, that people would just look at us and see Christ. That the greatest compliment is that, you know, I just look at, I look at that person and I, I see Jesus. God, I pray that that you would fill us with your spirit so much, Lord, that it would just radiate out of, our, out of our bodies. And, Lord, that people would be drawn to you as we do. God, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.